0: If you could turn to James chapter 4 and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. I you a second to get there. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. I pray that as we look at it, that we would hear from you, um, that we would allow it to examine our lives, um, that it would cause us to know you better, but it would cause us to repent of our sin as well. I pray, Father, that... um, your spirit would minister your word to your people tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, have you ever felt that you're surrounded by conflict? Um, a large part of what I deal with at work is conflict, it seems like, and usually if it makes it to my desk, um, then there, there was probably some kind of issue. Um, but have you ever just felt that you're at odds with people? And sometimes it seems... That we just live with attention, and have you ever wondered why? Um, have you ever wondered where the tension comes from? James addresses conflict in this passage and asks the same question. Verse one asks, "What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you?" And he he's continuing to develop his theme from the previous chapter. He started out chapter three. I don't know if you remember Ryan a couple weeks talking about the tongue. And the destructive force that it can be. He ends chapter three, and I don't remember Jason last week talking about heavenly wisdom, right? And that it is peaceable. Right? Now it's not a it's not, not, uh, heavy-handed, but it's a peaceable. Heavy, uh, heavenly wisdom is peaceable, and that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So why are we so destructive with our tongues? Why is it often more important? For us, and, and I am speaking to myself here, to win an argument than to give heavenly wisdom. James is addressing this. He's giving the why. He's not addressing all quarrels and fights, he's not looking at outside persecution. He takes up that, that theme at other points in the letter. Uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 6, he talks about the rich who oppress you. Uh, In chapter 1, he tells us to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. And I am confident that for his audience, some of that is external persecution. He is not trying to provide an explanation for why Russia invaded Ukraine. Although there probably is some roundabout application there. James is addressing why there are quarrels and fights among you among believers. He's addressing conflict within the church. And he answers this question with a rhetorical one. He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you or within your members? And that's how the King James or the New American Standard would translate it. We have conflict within us. James has just finished talking about the tongue how it is a small member that is set among our other members. And when he talks about the tongue, it's as almost as if it has a mind of its own. He says no, no human being can tame it. It's wild. It's set against the other members of the body. We have that same conflict going on in our members. And it only makes sense that if we have this conflict in our members, inside of us, that it's going to spill out into our relationships as well. And I know that that's not how I normally think about conflict. I'm I'm sure you're the same way. Um, I always think the problem is external. Uh, Usually with the other person, right? Like, that's that's generally generally what we think. Um, If only they would do this, right? Um, Or see things differently or only do that. We would be at peace then. But you don't get that from James. There is nowhere... In this passage, that he's gonna tell you to look at the other person. Not, Not a single place will he say, Look at the other person. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So the quarrel out here, right, like the external quarrel, is because of the quarrel in here. But what does James give us as the reason for the war in here? He tells us that it is our passions. Now, these, they're not good passions, right? It's not the passionate love of Christ that just spills over and upsets the apple carton. It's a worldly passion. The word James uses here is where we get our word for hedonism. It's never in the New Testament used um, in a good circumstance. It's always bad. It's, uh, like I say, where we get hedonism and, and not the John Piper Christian hedonism type of hedonism. It's a bad passion. We have these passions, James says. We want things. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. When we can't satisfy these passions, we're willing to do anything, even murder. And do we think this is out of the realm of possibility for the church? Actual shootings are probably not the thrust of the quarrels and fights that James James is focusing on. One commentator noted if there was a significant murder problem... Um, it probably would have been addressed a little earlier and a little more in depth. So it's probably not the focus of what James is talking about, but I don't want you to to think that that can't happen. Um, More likely, though, James is focusing on the idea um, that to God, there's really not a difference between hating your brother and murder. John says it pretty simply in his epistle. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And it's not just hate and murder. Um, sometimes it's just good old-fashioned tension and bickering. You covet and cannot obtain, pain, so you fight and quarrel. And in the middle of this quarrel, right, in the middle of this conflict that we have with our other brothers and sisters in Christ, where do we look? Right? Is it to God? Do we look to God in that situation? No, God says you don't have because you don't ask. Right? Like you, you, you didn't turn to him in the first place. And then he says, even when you do, uh, you ask a misc. Uh, he says he doesn't give it to you because you're just asking so you can satisfy those hedonistic pass- passions that we already talked about. Think of our prayers in the midst of tor- turmoil in your soul. Think of the angst when making bigger purchases, and that's a real thing, right? Like the angst making bigger purchases is a real thing. But do you go through the car lot, just praying that God would give you this thing that would make everybody think better of you, and that you would spend that on your pride? Now, obviously, we don't express it to God that way, right? Like you don't you don't come out right out and say that, but He knows your heart. Do you pray? Do you pray for leadership, even in the local church? so that you're sovereign and not God? If I ran the nursery. Right? And I picked the nursery because I've never been in it once. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. It's a, it's a joyful, peaceful, harmonious place back there as far as I, as far as I know. Um, that was one of the benefits of, uh, of being single. Uh, as a single guy, you weren't allowed to work in the nursery and now I'm married and so I asked Laura, I was like, we, we, might, we might should take a turn or two in the nursery this summer. But um, But is that why I want to lead, right? Because I know best? Things would be more God-honoring if I was in charge. Or maybe you do want to serve and lead, but you haven't been asked to. But you know better than God in that, too. You could do better. This is another one that was convicting for me. Um, I was reading the other day. It's John Owen's book, Communion on God. And he he makes this um, statement He says, when we ask pardon for sin, but secretly mean to continue in sin, we ask it missed to spend it on our lust. Do I ask for grace? Do I ask for forgiveness? All the while, to spend that wrongly on my passions? Paul would say, God forbid. So James goes from an honest assessment of conflict to an honest assessment of us reason we have conflict, passions that are at war within me. But what does he say about us? He says, you adulterous people. And that's harsh. It's, it's like someone just called us a bad word. right? Like if you went and said that to somebody in the hallway, you adulter it. That's, that's harsh. But James means it. And in this, we truly get to the heart of the problem if You will. We are bought people, the bride of Christ. We're to look to Him for pleasure. We're to look to Him for our passion, not our worldly passions. And in this, James kind of frames the conflict, if you will. It's not just a conflict among us. You might think it's just a conflict with another nursing worker. It's not. We're not just setting ourselves against our brothers and sisters, we are actually setting ourselves against God. That's who James says we're really at war with, right? Right now, um, Russia has invaded Ukraine, and the United States, if you read the news, is doing everything that we can not to escalate that war into a direct conflict with Russia. Um, when I fight and quarrel with my brothers and sisters in Christ, when my worldly passions boil over, it's too late. I'm already at war with God. There's no other thing that I need to do. There's no other line that I need to cross. I don't need to institute a no-fly zone to escalate the crisis. I'm already squaring off with God. When I love the world, I'm already in the ring with him. Do we understand why this has escalated? Why we've gone from a little peacekeeping mission in Eastern Europe and somehow it's worse than World War III? Because honestly, when I read this passage, that's what I thought. Like, I like I'm, I, we, we, we came from, what, what? We had a little fight and quarrel. We, we were bickering. And now we're at war with God. We're adulterous and war with God. And James says, desire is still the key, right? It's all about desires, the, re- the reason why we're at war with God. Or do you just, and he says, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And if I phrase that more like a statement rather than a rhetorical question, there's a reason that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God yearns. This could also be translated desire. That's how the New American Standard translates it. In verse 2, we desire. Right? And here in verse 5, we see contrasted God's desire. And he has a jealous desire for us. When we are friends with the world, God turns jealous. Uh, I must admit that I didn't really understand jealousy until I was interested in Laura. (laughs) We were on a mission trip where all jealous stories start. Um, and, uh, she had absolutely, well, she had some inkling that I was interested, but I never said anything other than, you know, can I pray for you? Um, <laughs> single guy starts asking you if you can pray for you. You never know where that's going to lead. <laughs> but, uh, so we're, we're, we're in New York city. Um, and there is a intern there, right? right. And, uh. I see Laura talking to him, and she looks like she's having too good of a time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's just one of those things. I went red. I had to go to the bathroom to get a hold of myself. Right? Like that's that's just where I was at. Like I understood jealousy at that spot. Right? Like I got it. Um, and Laura told me that he's, he's like he was like 23. I was like, well, it looked old enough to me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know. That's what jealousy is. When I look at somebody else or something else, like I'm supposed to be looking at God, he's jealous. He is jealous for us. He doesn't want to be in conflict with you. But he can't let you go. He's jealous for us. So look at the action. What action does he take? We do murder, right? We fight and quarrel but he gives more grace. Right? No condemnation, no divorce for his adulterous people. He gives more grace. And he does it with a condition. You have to be humble. If you're in the midst of conflict, but holding on to your pride, God literally opposes you. Now, do you see that as grace? But it is. It would be much worse if he lets you had your way he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, because of all that's gone before, submit yourselves to God. Submit. Give up yourself. Don't buy the car for the wrong reason, right? Don't seek to serve for the wrong reason. Don't confess sin while planning to commit more. God opposes the proud, and you can either humble yourself, humble yourself, Or for a Christian, he will give you grace in the way of humiliation. He'll humble you. Next, he tells us to resist the devil. There's a saying, the devil made me do it, right? And I can remember as an elementary student, um, a teacher telling me that the devil is not omnipresent. Uh, So more than likely, my sin was not the devil's fault. But my own sin nature. And I understand what she was saying saying. Um, And it wasn't Mrs. Cox. Um, She was my third grade teacher, best third grade teacher I had. Um, She didn't want us to not accept responsibility for our own sins. But in this passage, we see both ideas and they are interchangeable, right? He just got through saying that the source of this conflict was what? Our internal passions, right? That's why we're in the conflict in the first place, our internal passions, um, so why is he bringing up the devil? And it's obvious that these ideas are not mutually exclusive. In the previous t- chapter, James talks about bitter jealousy and selfish, ambivalent, a- a- selfish ambition. Where? In our hearts. Right? Like, I don't know if you remember that. I um, he says that they're in our hearts. He says, this is earthly, unspiritual. Third thing, demonic. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. We would say through the ordinary means of grace, right? Seek him in his word. Seek him in prayer. Seek him in fellowship with other believers. Do this with a submissive heart, and I guarantee that he will draw near to you. Why? Because he yearns. He yearns. That's his desire. That's my favorite thing out of this passage. That he's jealous for me. <laughs> That's crazy. But he earns for us. Cleanse your hands you sinners. Purify your hearts you double minded. Fight your flesh. John Owen says do not take a day off from this work. Always be killing sin or it will be killing you. Pray with the psalmist that God would unite your heart. That you wouldn't be divided or double minded as James says. Have a single minded pursuit of God. This is hard for me. When I'm studying scripture to teach or to learn, it's much easier, right? Uh, I must admit that I have a harder time when I'm doing a takeoff from a set of blueprints. Can I do that in submission to God? Absolutely. And that's what he has for me tomorrow morning. Can I do all to the glory of God? I need to cleanse myself. Cleanse myself from my work. It can't be about me. It has to be in submission to God. I have to submit. James has told us who we are. We're adulterers. Um, What God requires of us, submission to him. How should we respond now? Be wretched, he says, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Is that what you want? Do you want to be wretched and mourn and weep? I think if we took a survey, like one of those surveys on the internet where you click and it gives you the percentage of you know, what you clicked on. I don't think any of us would pick this. Right? I wouldn't. Um, but do you realize that in God's plan, when you see who you are before him and when you mourn over it, you're actually in a blessed state? It's actually a good thing. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The first step for a kingdom citizen is to be poor in spirit. First thing you have to do is you have to see yourself for who you are. You have to realize that you're an adulterer. That this last week, I looked at something like I should be looking at Jesus. And I didn't. I look to that other thing to fulfill me. I have to see that. Can you, can you in your mind say, I'm an adulterer? Right? And then weep over it. Right? See it, own it, that's who you are. Um, mourn over it. Confess it. Turn from it. If you do that, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for what? They shall be comforted. It's been some of my uh, experience that some of the best moments in my life have been in tears. And I think any Christian can say that. That I have wept yesterday, but I feel comfortable. Um, Sometimes we want all smiles and laughter. And that's not always a state of blessing. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this... That your passions are at war within your members. If you find yourself in conflict this week. Especially with those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at yourself. Look at your thoughts. Look at your your heart. If you spend the time thinking about them. Then James doesn't give you any direction. He doesn't ask you to do that once. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you.